KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Welcome back to another edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. Okay, I gave myself a little vacation after Comic-Con. I'd fully intended to devote a podcast to that glorious celebration of pop culture. But this year, I was working as a field producer for Comic-Con HQ, and I had zero time for anything else. So I wasn't able to talk to celebrities, attendees, or exhibitors. But I still had a great time. I got to watch makeup artist Warren Dion Smith turn a man into an orc in less than an hour. And I got to meet Elvira when Comic-Con HQ did an interview with her. And damn, she's great and hilarious. But now it's back to the real world and back to my podcast. So this week, I want to talk about a new comedy drama by Mike Birbiglia. It's called Don't Think Twice. It opened on July 22nd in New York, and it's going to be opening in San Diego and in more cities on August 12th. You may know him from his many endeavors, including the feature film Sleepwalk With Me, or from his regular contributions to This American Life. Don't Think Twice looks to an improv group experiencing some growing pains as one of its members is on the verge of breaking out into the mainstream. Here's some of the trailer. We're auditioning for Weekend Live. Congrats, man. From Mike Birbiglia and the creator of This American Life <laughs> comes the comedy critics are calling perfect, completely winning, and funny and honest. Ah! You gotta go. Don't think twice. Five minutes, guys. Five minutes, guys. Five minutes, guys. Why am I Japanese? Remember when you said, please tell me when I'm racist? Yeah. Just it's one of those times. Thanks. Thank those you. Times. Welcome the commune. Improv in art form unto itself. The most important thing is don't think. You don't think, you don't memorize. You don't get paid. So true, but isn't that kind of fun, too? Are you working right now? Are you applying for anything? Uh, unemployment? Hummus and chips? Improv, as we'll find out when I speak with Mike Birbiglia, is a different beast than stand-up comedy because it involves a team rather than a solitary individual on stage. Here's a scene from the film demonstrating the skill set of an improv group. And we are the communists! tonight is going to be improvised and this show is really all about you guys so we want to know has anybody out here had a particularly hard day and uh something actually hard like not like your roommate ate your yogurt it was still shitty when you ate my yogurt <laughs> uh go ahead uh i'm looking for an apartment and it sucks why, why, why specifically does it suck the only one i can afford has the bathroom in the kitchen mm. <laughs> Hi, great. Hi. Okay, so as you can see, we have uh, uh, there's two bedrooms. Lovely. Uh, here is the kitchen. Nice. Uh, there's a beautiful bathroom. Uh, is that a toilet? Yes, that is. The, the, to the toilet is in the kitchen. Mm, mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, yes. who are they? They, they are... <laughs> they, uh, they are orphans. They are uh, orphans. Uh, Yes, the apartment comes with orphans. Oh. Yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, uh, does the landlord mind if I paint? 
Well, you can't paint the orphans, no. Uh, but you can but you can paint the walls. This is the yes. place I was telling you about, baby. It has a lot of character. Oh, love Good to this see you. is my husband. Stanley, I love it. Oh, it's great. Hey, well, I, guys, this is it. It's going to sell today. You got to go for it. It's going to sell today. I'll take it. Oh, no, no, I, I'm going to take no, it. No, we'll pay 30% of your asking. Oh, well, I'll pay 50% of your asking. We'll pay 100% of your asking. Well, 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 I'll pay, I'll pay $2 million for this apartment. For the, what, really? Yes. Okay. What yeah. makes you want this apartment so badly? It's the orphans. I want to raise them. Mike Birbiglia came to San Diego in June to sneak preview his film, and he stopped by KPBS for an interview that was also videotaped for TV. I wanted to include a little bit of our setup as we tried to improvise a slate to sync the three cameras. Birbiglia, with a sprained wrist, was unable to help with the clapping. I can't clap with this injury. Oh, no. Do you understand? Are you recording, Chris? Yeah. Roll. Do you want me to clap? Three, two, one. I'll tell you that's the thing that uh, when I was making my first film, Sleepwalk With Me, Michael Moore came to my one-man show off-Broadway. My girl, it was called My Girlfriend's Boyfriend. And I said, Michael, do you have any, I'm directing my first film, do you have any advice? Sound, sound, sound. Because <laughs> sound is much more important than picture. <laughs> Did you ever hear that story about Roger and me, his first film? They didn't clap. Oh. So they, they, didn't have, they didn't have sunk sound. Yes. Oh, that's bad. So it was like an extraordinary that. amount of tedious, tedious work to sync the... I learned how to film. edit on 35mm film. Good for you. So I know exactly. Yeah, you know what's up, like. yeah. I remember somebody coming in and, and saying, they saw clappers, you know, when we were running footage, and they were the clapper, you know, the markers on the film. And she goes, oh, isn't that quaint? They, like, still do that old-fashioned. And it's like, ah, right. uh, no, no. no, 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 that serves, no, like, no. a real Nothing purpose. No, no, nothing quaint about it. Yeah, that's real. <laughs> this, is, this is in stark contrast, by the way, to the earlier part of my morning. This is a calm public, public television uh, radio conversation. All right, now I feel like I'm letting down the public television image by being too boring or dull. All right, no, that's, my, that's All right. my style. All right, I like that's that. good. I like it. So we're here to talk about Don't Think Twice, yes. your new film. Now, this is about an improv group. And I want to know, is there a difference between doing improv and stand-up? Is there a different skill set you need? Yes. And, and uh, I would say very, very much so. I, I'm an odd case of someone who, who actually does both. I, I don't know a ton of people like, who do both. There's a few that I can think of, like Chris Gethard, who plays Bill in the film. He does both. He's, he's excellent um, at stand-up and, and sometimes tours with me. As a matter of fact, he open for me here at the Balboa about two years ago, which was wonderful. I love that theater. Yeah, it's a great That theater. is a gorgeous theater. But in terms of uh, improv versus stand-up, I think um, th it, it, in some ways there's like a rivalry between the two. You know, some improv people, they hate stand-up, some stand-up people hate improv, and, and, but the truth is they have a lot in common. They're, they're both, you know, making light of Truths, trying you know, but one of them is, is obviously improvised and it's collaborative. Um, I love improv because it's it. Uh, the reason I like it so much is that it's so much based on your relationship with the other actors on stage, and kind of you live and die by your relationships with the other people on stage. 
and I think that's thrilling. It's really exciting. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems stand-up is a very solitary kind of it is job. Very, it is very solitary. I mean, I, I, I mean, Sleepwalk With Me is much more about stand-up and how I spent, you know, 15 years driving my mom's station wagon around the country to areas of lesser comedy concentration, places like Ohio, West Virginia, New Jersey. And, and, you know, this one's more about a group. Well, there's a scene in the bar where Sam is talking to her students. Yes. And she says, if you're going to fail, I want you to fail, like, in this crash and burn as a yes. group. So is yeah, that as a group. kind of... Yeah, I want you to... That was, it's funny you should say that. I, that was, it's one of my favorite lines. It's one of, one of my... That was a, a line that Chris Gethard pointed out when he and I were on tour. I was writing this movie, and he, he would point out some truisms about improv, and one of them was is that you fail together. Like when you fail, you fail together. When you bomb, you bomb together. And stand up, you bomb alone. <laughs> <laughs> to me, stand up seems the most terrifying thing on the planet to do because you're so alone. And if you fail, you know immediately. Because it's not like with bad drama. You know, you can do a bad Shakespeare and you can't quite tell what the audience is reacting. Very true. But with comedy, or you Or even know. music is the same way. If you play with your band, and people clap at the end, you go, all right, that's fine. With, yeah, with comedy, if there's no laughs, there's no laughs. It must be the deadest sound. <laughs> it is a very dead sound, but, but you know, it's, it's also it's a privilege, and uh, I'm very lucky to be able to do it. So. If improv is about the group, then is trust a key factor? Trust is a massive factor. Trust is trust and, and listening, I think, are, are really, really crucial. So much of improv is about listening to what your partner is saying and then building on that. A lot of times when people teach improv, they talk about giving gifts to your partner on stage, which is to say, you know, if someone if someone's improvising about how you know, they're buying shoes at a, a shoe store. Um, the person, you say, uh, well, I'm a size nine and a half, and the person who, who plays the person selling shoes could say, well, you know, we have this shoe that's available for, uh, you, you can swim in it, and you can do surgery in it, and you can run in it. And, and that's like, it's giving a gift back, which is to say, instead of just saying, Oh, okay. I'll get a nine and a half, which is just sort of taking what taking taking what the person mm -hmm. said to you. They're giving back. Well, we have this multi-purpose shoe, and it does these three things. And sort of that's how improv scenes are built. It's with one person says one thing, another person says agrees with that thing, and then adds something to it. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, you're in this universe that didn't exist before. Now, you said that you actually met with one of our local improv groups, Fun yes. City Improv, and one of their members was trying to convince me to take an improv class oh. and I told her I said well I'm not funny so and yeah. she said the point of improv is not really to be funny but to find truths is that I think that's very accurate um I th also think that a lot of times people don't realize that I remember my my ex-girlfriend or that's such a bad term, <laughs> ex-girlfriend, my, my, girl, my college girlfriend, woman that I dated seriously in college, who I'm still very close friends with. She was always a, an actress, but she was never an improviser. And I just, I always try to convince her, um, you know, you should try improv because you have 
this you have a personality you have sort of a yes and type of personality you're always trying to um, support other people in conversations and look at the optimistic side of, of, of elements and I feel like that's that's a crucial element of improv and then of course when we broke up she did started taking improv classes and then shortly thereafter married one of the people in her improv class <laughs> so that's a happy ending for someone no, it's good. It's happy all around. Well, they also mentioned that a lot of like uh, businesses take the improv class for two reasons: one, to become more comfortable like speaking and being able to yes. think on their feet, and also for team building. Yes, you know, my sister Patty does that. She, my my sister Patty is a a consultant. She consults with various technology companies and things in in Oakland. She lives in Oakland, and uh, and a lot of times she will. She'll take her clients to improv classes, whether it's Second City or uh, Improv Olympic in Chicago, and and uh, it loosens. I, I, she finds it loosens people up. It makes people feel like uh, there's, you know, a common phrase in improv is is there are no bad ideas, which is uh, it's a hard thing to convince people of sometimes because I think we're all self-conscious that mm -hmm. our, our ideas are bad and and are, aren't as good as other people's and. and um, and there is, you know, there's something freeing about about that uh, that idea that there's no bad ideas, even though it sounds a little cliche as I'm saying it, but it's no, true. No. I think it's true. Because you always have somebody else there to give you the gift to make that idea better. I think so. Right? Yeah. So you're talking about this as being collaborative in a group. Sure. But. People who perform are also competitive. So how does that play well, in? Well, that's how the move. That's how the idea for the movie was conceived. Is my wife came to see my wife Jen, who's a consulting producer actually on the film. She came to see our improv group, my improv group, one night. Chris Gathard and Tammy Sager and uh, a bunch of people who are in the movie actually play in uh, regularly in New York. And she she made this observation. She goes your stand-up friends are so mean to each other <laughs> and your improv friends are so nice to each other and I go well it's more complicated than that because I think that the the meanness is kind of bubbling under the surface and and I thought that uh, that really could be a movie and then the other thing that my wife said is she's a she's a very wise person she goes um, it's interesting that in, in your in improv the principles of it are that everyone's equal but in fact that person's a sitcom star that person's on Saturday Night Live you know, and this, you know, and then this person shares a one bedroom with five dudes in Bushwick, you know, and, and it's not equal off stage. And I thought, man, that's a movie. Like, I, I would love to see that movie. And, and I, I feel like what I was trying to evoke with this movie, and I'm so, I, it's so heartening for me, especially, you know, I'm here in San Diego and I showed the movie to a sneak preview uh, group of people last night. and and I met with the folks from Finest City Improv, and it's heartening for me that it's connecting with people because it is a very different type of movie than is in the Cineplexes right now. You know, in Cineplexes, you, you walk in and it's, it's this franchise or it's this superhero thing or it's this toy that's now a movie. <laughs> Somehow that's a thing. <laughs> um, and, and I feel like these movies that that I love, from what I grew up on in the 70s and 80s, like, you know, movies like Broadcast News and The Big Chill and Hannah and Her Sisters, these movies that make you laugh and cry alternately, I feel like they, they're very rare. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I'm just like, I crave those movies. It's almost like I'm making this movie 
because I want it to exist. <laughs> you know, like I want, I, I, I would love to see five of those movies a year, but I feel like there are, there, there's not five a year. What I was thinking too is the way it's promoted in some of the trailers and stuff. Yeah. I'm wondering if people will be surprised at how, I don't know if serious is the right word, but maybe like how truthful it is as opposed to just being an all out comedy. Yeah, I mean, we try to get across in the trailer that it's, a, that I would describe it as a dramatic comedy, that it's, mm -hmm. That it's a, a drama about these group of friends, and that, but that it's um, that it's funny. I always say, like, my, my favorite movies are are movies that have all the elements of life in them. You know, like I, whenever I see a movie that is so dramatic that there's no air for there to be humor in it, I'm I always go like, that's not what life is like. Life is funny. It's not constantly funny, but it is sometimes funny. So the, when something has no humor, I'm always like, I don't believe that. And when something has all humor and no tragedy or no drama, I go, mm, that's not that realistic either. When you're doing live stand-up or improv as opposed to filming yeah. something that's funny, you play off of the audience, you know like what the pace is, you can tell what's working and what's not. So how hard is it to pace out a film, a comedy film, when you don't have that feedback and once you set it like it's done like you yeah. can't change it <laughs> we test it with a lot of audiences we show it to a lot of people as a matter of fact ira glass uh, of the host host and creator of this american life um is <clears throat> the one of the producers of the film and we would in partnership with uh, wnyc in new york city the public radio station they would let us actually screen the movie like every few weeks for public radio audiences, which are tough. <laughs> Those are very discerning audiences. They have a lot to say. They have a lot of criticisms. Um, so early along the way, like we would show early cuts and they would decimate it. And we would be like, okay, back to the drawing board. And they would decimate it again, back to the drawing board. You know, so the timing, it's crucial. And, and with film, with, with comedy, it's absolutely crucial. And our editor, Jeffrey Richmond, who edited, gosh, The Cove, which won the Academy Award. He, he edited Michael Moore's movie Sicko, which is, I think, brilliant. He edited Sleepwalk With Me, and he actually did Terrence Malick's recent movie, Night of Cups. He's a very meticulous editor. He's a very serious filmmaker and, and takes comedy very seriously. Of course, it sounds, sounds redundant, but, uh, or sounds, uh, sounds like a... a, a Contradictory. A contradiction in, in terms, but he does take comedy very seriously. I think his, his participation is really crucial to the time, you know, the timing of every moment, and you know, timing out where the laughs are, and and, and the pacing is crucial too. Yeah, because you want to, you do want to leave some space, otherwise people will miss lines completely if everybody's laughing. Yeah, and to your point earlier, like you were saying, like you know, is it a comedy? Is it a drama? In the first few minutes of the movie, you actually have to establish it's both. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have some jokes and you have to have some serious and r realistic moments so that people go, oh, okay, We're, it's okay if we laugh and it's okay if we cry. Like, those are two fair emotions. So you work in improv. You're doing a film about improv. Yeah. How tightly scripted was the film and did you allow for improvisation during it? It was so, it was more scripted than anything I, I've ever written. I wrote probably about 12 or 13 drafts. I would have readings, I probably had about 10 readings in my living room with actors and screenwriters reading all the parts and, and then they would give thoughts afterwards. I'd say, how do you feel about this? How do you like this character? And that kind of thing. And then, um, and then I would give them pizza afterwards. 
Uh, and I would always say at the beginning of the readings, so we're going to read the script, and then we're going to eat pizza, from, from, and good pizza. I mean, <laughs> I live in Brooklyn, so I take pizza very seriously. So we'd get it from, like, Lucali or, or, you know, Patsy's or, like, one of the really nice, good, good, solid pizza places. And I would say the reading, it might go well, and it might go terribly because <laughs> it's in the early stages of the script. But at the end, you'll eat pizza, and so it'll all be fine. You didn't um, think about bribing him with the pizza beforehand? It's no, a reward no, no, after? I no, okay. no, no, I, I don't want to taint, taint the results. <laughs> oh, okay. That would ruin everything. All right, It's all an right. experiment. But, but um, I'm sorry, back to the question, which is, oh, imp improvising yeah. versus scripting. So I always say, like, I've always read that Woody Allen writes these scripts very meticulously with his, his films. And then on set, he sort of says, you, you know, whatever comes out, you know, just say it. You know, whatever you're comfortable with. And that's how I feel. I mean, I feel like it's, I, I, I cast these really brilliant actors who, are, who are, have really brilliant minds in addition to being great actors. And I always said, like, what it, you know, let's do it as scripted and then let's do whatever, whatever comes out. Because I think that that's often the most truthful version of it. You say you have brilliant actors. How do you get the right chemistry for a group like that? We spent a few weeks together in advance. I had to convince the, all the actors to come to New York, even though they're very busy. Chris Gethard and uh, Kate Micucci and Keegan-Michael Key, um, Tammy Sager he, uh, um, and Gillian Jacobs, and I had to convince them, like, guys, this movie will live or die based on the chemistry of the group. If we feel like friends, people are going to like the movie. If we don't feel like friends, people are going to be like, what is this movie? Um, it's really what the movie's about, is about friendship. And so I convinced them to come to town. And then this improv guru, a teacher, her name's Liz Allen. She's really brilliant. She actually taught me back when I was in college 20 years ago. She came and did a lot of exercises with us to sort of bond us and get us feeling like we're a bunch of best friends. And I feel like I'll always have that bond with this group of people, like more, more so than any other movie or TV show I've ever done, where it's like, you know, the movie's a lot about the principles of improv, about how it happens in a moment and it disappears. I feel like that's true in some ways of my friendships with or this moment in time where I spent three weeks rehearsing with these five other actors, where we spent a ton of time together and, and then we shot for six weeks and you know, we'll always stay friends, but we'll never have that, like, intense sort of... It was almost like summer camp. But, uh, but it was... I, I feel very lucky to have, to have been able to do that. So when you got them all together, was there a thought in the back of your head, well, if this person doesn't work, we'll have to find someone else, or these... Like, this is the group that I think will work together, and I have a backup group in mind of other... <laughs> like, Because I remember when they were casting Star Wars, like, they grouped people, and it was either going to be, like, this group oh, or this true? group. Yeah, because they felt like these three worked well together, worked well and together. these three, like, worked well together, so they wouldn't have moved. That's interesting. So I I'm wondering if you... Well, I definitely had up on my wall photos of everybody and so I was always looking at when I in the casting process I was looking at how does this person look opposite this person how does it you know because one of the you'd never guess this from movie making but one of the things that you have to contend with is that you got to make sure that people don't look too much like each other because mm -hmm. then people go is that Karen or Tracy <laughs> you know what I mean like which one is that um, and and so yeah so that that was a big factor but I never really thought of I never really thought of like who was the 
backup team, although I always had it in my mind, like if it doesn't work out with one of the actors, then we'll figure it out, you know. But it did, I, I, you know, the way it worked out was, I, I think, really lucky. So how do you work in post-production? Does the film change at all at that stage for you? Is that like where you're remaking it or? In a, with Sleepwalk With Me, it was very much that. Sleepwalk With Me, in, I, you know, I talked to the camera in Sleepwalk With Me and when we originally shot it, it was more like Ferris Bueller where in the middle of the scene we'd be talking and I'd go, so this is, a, this is an interview we're doing and here's why it's awkward, you know, or whatever the thing is. But then in, 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 in editing, we found out that it looked kind of cheesy. Like it, it was kind of a Ferris Bueller type conceit, like where Ferris Bueller looks at the camera and says blah, blah, blah. And we found like, oh, it just, it feels, I don't know, like there's something kind of campy about it that didn't feel like the rest of the movie. And so we, so we added, we went out and shot me driving a car and then me talking to the camera while I'm driving the car. And so in some ways there's this sort of alternate reality of me telling the story mm -hmm. combined with the, the, the footage of me living the story. And somehow that worked better. So that was like a big, big change that we made in the edit. With this one, I feel like, you know, what we discovered in the edit was that a lot of the plot elements were too much for people to wrap their brains around. And we kind of pulled them back. And then we would have, we, we picked up some scenes where, you know, we would have our, our main cast explaining some of the plot elements. Exposition stuff was built into the relationships as opposed to <laughs> another character that's you know here's a you know there's this uh, there in the original script is like there's a theater producer who's gonna who, who sells them on an idea that they're gonna move across town and all this stuff and it was a it was a big subplot and it mm -hmm. ended up being chopped back to a pretty small subplot so what do you find is the biggest challenge uh doing film comedy doing i mean the biggest challenge I, is making films, period, period. <laughs> making films is so thankless. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> there's no money. You know what I mean? It's like, no one's getting rich making independent films. It's, it's, not, it's not something that happens. So you have to do it for the love of it. And then you have to convince the actors and the crew, who also are not getting rich, for them to do it for the love of it. And so you really have to try to coalesce this whole group of like almost 100 people to say like, guys, we're making this thing. It's almost like being a camp counselor. Or like a student council president where you're like planning the homecoming dance and you're like, so you're on streamers and you get the punch bowl and you hire the DJ and you're like, this is gonna be great, but you know secretly it might not be great. And so that's sort of the trick of being a director. I, I think in some ways is like, you really have to keep a straight face and, 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 and have a sense that, give or emanate this sense that this is gonna work out great, but the truth is you don't know. Nobody knows, no, no matter how big a movie is. I mean, you know, when James Cameron made Avatar, he probably didn't know if it, that it was going to be a massive hit. You know, we, people, I mean, I think they're, I, maybe he's a bad example. He might have thought it was going to be a hit. He might have, he might have <laughs> felt confident about it. But, but I've, you know, I've heard stories about when, where Woody Allen will be in the edit of his movies and just go, this is a disaster, you know. And he's, and he's every day in the edit, he's trying to kind of dig himself out of being embarrassed and experiencing failure. And so, yeah, I mean, I, you have to sort of have a, a bravado and a confidence, but 
the, it's, it, it, it's, it's that, it's put on, like you can't know, you really can't know. And is it even harder when you're writing and directing and starring? It's harder and it's, it's harder and it's easier. I mean, it's harder logistically. Like it's harder to shoot a scene where you're acting and then be like, hold on, I'm gonna watch that. And, they, and you run over and you watch it on a little screen. And you go, okay, look, uh, can we move Chris here just to the left? And can we move this plant over here? And then you gotta run back and then you have to act. And so it's, logistically, it's a mess. From a passion perspective, I, I think it's great because it's, I, I'm fully inside of the film. You know, I'm living inside the film and it's, it becomes part of my DNA at a certain point. So I think that in terms of a film having a voice and having, you know, I feel, my problem with, with films like you go to the Cineplex now and it's like, I don't know that many of these studio films that really have a voice anymore. That they're they're not necessarily unique. They're just sort of like and this huge franchise thing and this huge franchise thing. And I, I can't I don't know. I can't differentiate them from one from another. You open the film with a little bit of like improv history. Improv history. Yeah. Why was that important to you to include that? It's funny because it wasn't in the that wasn't in the original script. That's a good example of something that came in the edit because people weren't understanding improv. <laughs> like they'd see the film and they'd go, I don't get, they'd see it without that. And they'd go, the, some of the WNYC public radio audiences would go, what's happening? What is this improv? You know, and so we came up with this idea, um, which is um, why don't we just sort of present the rules of improv and present the history of improv just in this little encapsulated form. And Second City, which in Chicago was really generous and licensed us those original clips, those, those really cool black and white clips. Well, because then you also kind of end with that with teaching her yes. class. Well, no spoilers, please. Oh. Oh. I'll tell each camera, Sorry. no spoilers. Sorry. No spoilers. There's somebody <laughs> in the film later who picks up on the history <laughs> of improv. It's not better. <laughs> then right, people are going to be looking out for it like it's a murder mystery. Who not? picks up on it? No, no. I no. I, I know what you mean, though. It's um, yeah. It's it's an important. It becomes an important element. Well, and one of the rules of improv, of improv that you yeah. give is don't think. Don't think. Does that yeah. go hand in hand with the no bad ideas? Like don't think, think so. about it. I think so. Yeah. I think it's. I, I think it's. So much of improv is about doing and trying and experimenting and, and taking a chance on something and, and that's that's why don't think is an important rule and then that's why the movie's called don't think twice it's uh and it's which is also a reference to don't think twice it's all right the the great bob dylan breakup song so who would you say your influences were in terms of comedy well it's funny because i grew up on Saturday Night live certainly i think like most comedy nerds um I grew up on David Letterman, and then I grew, you know, and w when I got into college, I started writing films, and I started taking screenwriting classes, and that's when I sort of got into James L. Brooks and, and Woody Allen and Nicole Holof Center and these filmmakers who were making films that merge comedy and drama in this way that really made me feel something, and I always thought, like, oh, gosh, if I could make films that make that make people feel the way I feel when I see these films like that would just be a dream come true. So do you have something else lined up at this point for your next film? I'm gonna take a one-year-long nap. <laughs> I'm so tired. 
I'm on vacation with my wife this week and my wife and one-year-old daughter in Laguna Beach, which is just out outrageously beautiful. And it's been such a long time since I've taken a vacation that just going to the airport, I injured myself. <laughs> I like sprained my wrist holding a baby in 15 suitcases. And I think my body is not equipped for vacation. Uh. I think my body is like, no, 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 we don't do vacation. So I think I want to take a break for a bit and sort of percolate on um, some ideas. I mean, I have a lot of ideas in my head. I have three or four movie ideas in my head that I'm kicking around. But I always find that like the, the best ones sort of rise to the top. Like you have to make the movie that you have to make because it's so hard to make independent mm -hmm. films that unless you really love it, it's going to be a disaster. So I take it you love it enough to go back to it again. Yeah, I do. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. This was so much fun. Did we get anything? Nope, Were you rolling? No sound? Were we rolling? But don't think twice. It's all right. Thanks for listening. Next week, I'll have one podcast with Steve Martin about his world premiere of Meteor Shower and another on the indie film Hell or High Water. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. Ain't it ain't no use in the turning on your light, babe. The light I never knowed. Ain't it ain't no use in turning on your light, babe. I'm on the dark side of the road. But I wish there was something you would do or say To try and make me change my mind and stay But we never did too much talking anyway But don't think twice, it's alright KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota. Let's go places.